Today we're in John chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter 15 and stand with me today. I'm going to read verses 1 to 11. It's a beautiful metaphor that Jesus lays out uh, today for what it looks like to have a relationship with God. And the Bible says this, Jesus speaking, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. I'll, I'll explain what that means in a minute. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, what does he do? He prunes. Why? That it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean. Um, by the way, just a, a note, the word clean was um, used for when a vine dresser would prune the branch. So when you prune the branch, you could say, oh, he pruned the branch. Or you could say he cleansed the branch. And so those two terms are connected. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Check this out, underline it, circle it, highlight it, memorize it. For apart from me, you, say it with me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. I'm sure you're thinking, what in the world does that mean? We'll talk about it in a minute. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, hey, what's the big word in this uh, section? Right, <laughs> okay. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be what? Say, wow. I mean, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Hmm. You guys are less excited about that than the first service. And the first service wasn't even excited either. So we got serious problems. By this, by, by this my Father's glorified that you bear much fruit and, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father's loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Why did he say these things? These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you. Check this out. And that your joy may be full. That your joy. You, some of you might have been thinking this week, man, what is the, what's the secret to joy? Well, this is what he says here as he wraps this up. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you for this beautiful metaphor given by your son that just reveals to us the, the nature of our relationship. And God, I pray today that there would be a, a work of your Holy Spirit in all of our lives. Father, for those who've come in today who've never put their trust and faith in Jesus, we ask in Jesus' name, today would be the day that they're grafted into the vine. Father, for those of us today as Christians who just are distracted, God, have the nutrients of spiritual life sucked away because we're focused on what's unhelpful, unhealthy, or unlawful, God, prune us. Prune us today. Make this a fruitful church, God, so that you would be glorified and so that your mission would be fulfilled in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, metaphors are powerful tools for communication, and they are because they provide a picture. They provide a picture. They help us see complex things that we don't quite understand in terms of simple things that we do understand. Like in other words, and I know that makes sense to you, that's pretty simple today. When there's something that you're communicating that might be a little complex, a little, challenge, a little challenging to understand, what you'll do is you'll employ a metaphor because a metaphor will give a picture, it will simplify whatever it is that you're trying to communicate so the person who's hearing can understand. The marketing world, like we live in Las Vegas, right? And so we understand you drive down the strip. I mean, the, the marketing world has, per, they've perfected the use of the metaphor. And oftentimes what they'll do is they'll take motifs or metaphors like the journey or the relationship 
and they'll harness those things uh, it, using them as a picture to explain whatever it is they want to explain, connecting people more often than not to their product so people will buy their product. Um, let me give you a simple illustration. Red Bull has... Red Bull has wings. Red Bull has wings. Now, you go and you buy a Red Bull and it doesn't have wings, of course, that's just a metaphor. And that just simply means that it is so full of caffeine and sugar that after you down one of those babies, you'll be flying, right? You will be sky high. Some of you in the middle of my message need a Red Bull from time to time. But Jesus was the master of the metaphor. He was the master of the metaphor. When he employed metaphors, he did so brilliantly and he did so with great precision. Let me give you some just from the gospel according to John. Um, all oriented around the eight I am statements that Jesus made. The I am statements were identifiers. You know, we talked about this. They were identifiers. They identified Jesus as the Son of God, God incarnate, more than just a man, you know, not just some uh, ordinary run-of-the-mill rabbi, but he was God incarnate. Um, in addition to that, though, they were illuminators, they illuminated what it was that he did. And so for instance, Jesus wanted to know, he wanted people to know how they could get to God and that there was only one way to God. And so he employed the metaphor, he said, I am the door, I am the single door. You want access to the Father, you've got to go through me. He wanted people to know how deeply he cared for his people and so he used a metaphor that would have been perfect for the time he said i am the good shepherd people had a picture of how jesus would take care of his people people just by considering how a shepherd took care of his sheep he wanted people to know that they could find truth in a in the in a world of darkness and so he said to them i am the light of the world he wanted people to know that they could be sustained and satisfied in this life. And so he said to them, I am the bread of life. He wanted people to know that there was a way to have victory over the power of death. And so he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Somebody say amen to all those today. Yeah, and not only that, but he wanted people to understand what it was like to have a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so he says, the Father is the vine dresser, I am the vine, you are the branches. This was, this was an illustration, an apt illustration in an agricultural era. So what does it mean? Well, let me tell you what the metaphor means. The vine and branch metaphor reveals the anatomy of our relationship with God, which is a living union and communion with Jesus that causes our lives to bear fruit for God's glory. Like if you're to boil it down to the most simplistic statement, really this metaphor is conveying to us the anatomy of our relationship with God, which is really simple and super complex all at the same time. But the key aspects that Jesus draws out from this metaphor of the vine and the branch is this, we have a living union with God through the Son. And this, yeah, hallelujah to that. That is good. Yep, that's right. And by the way, I said I'm not feeling all that great today, so I need your help, all right? Don't be, don't be quiet today. Not only is it a union, it is a communion with Jesus. And when you and I have communion with the Son, and we'll get into like the physical aspects of the anatomy of a vine drawing its nutrients from the soil, but when we are living in communion with Jesus, there's something that happens naturally there's a natural byproduct of spiritual fruit in our life like if you're living in that day you would have been normally just walking down the road doing your 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 normal stuff and you would see vineyards and you would see the vine dresser right the father's the vine dresser you would have seen this vine dresser carefully tending to every single vine trellised beautifully gently and carefully making sure that the vine was receiving all of its nutrients soil rich with nutrients well watered and then also tending to every branch making sure that dead branches were cut away and that even branches that ha had some life 
They're called little suckers, were cut away as well, so all of the nutrients could be focused on one thing, and that was that that branch would bear an abundance of fruit. Well, well the father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the vine. He is the one through whom all of the life-giving nutrients of the spirit flow He's the only one that connects us to the Father. He said it already, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Everything that you need from the Father is accessed through faith in the Son. You are the branch. You're connected to the vine. We'll talk about how you're connected in just a moment. And as you're feeding on the vine, just like a branch would, you know, in, in, a, in a normal way, all of those nutrients are drawn up through the vine into your life and the byproduct byproduct of that is fruit for the glory of god i mean there's just a like i said our relationship with god is simple in some terms but it's complex in others let me just say this though you get that picture and of course you have to be thinking man it is a rich relationship with god it is a fulfilling relationship with god it is a relationship that brings me meaning and purpose. You know, maybe today your life really was kind of spun out by the news of the, the world. Or maybe today, you know, there's just been a lack of joy in your life. There's just been an absence of that particular spiritual fruit in your life and you've just kind of come in on empty. You ever come into the gathering of God's people like that? We're not always on full. We're not always even on half a tank. Some of us, and you know what this is like because some of you wait to the very last minute to put gas in your car. <laughs> who's like that? Raise your hand today. Yeah, who's? Uh. Am I like that, babe? That's me. I'm like, all right, I know I've got a reserve. I know I've got a reserve. And so how many miles can I get into my reserve until... And, and I'm, I don't want to give you the wrong impression here because, you know, get, the gathering of God's people isn't just like pulling into the gas station. The truth is this, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but we're supposed to be in constant contact with God, constantly getting, you know, the, 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 the fuel tank filled. But you know as well as I do, we can walk into the gathering of God's people and it's like, God, I'm all dried up. You know, I'm, I'm pretty much, I, it doesn't feel like in the, in the case of joy that I'm bearing a lot of fruit. Well, Jesus gave us these words so that there would be an abundance of joy in our life. You say, well, how do these words bring joy to me? I'm going to give you three ways today, all right, three ways. Number one, and some of this may seem simple, but man, it's so profound, you have to, you have to consider it. Number one is this, a true Christian has union with Christ. A true Christian has union with Christ. And that's something, my brothers and sisters, to be joyful about. You're united to the Lord. Can I remind you that God is on mission? God is on mission to overcome brokenness in this world caused by sin and to redeem humanity and all of creation. That's the mission that the Father is on. You say, well, how does he execute or accomplish that mission in the life of a person well he does so by uniting them to his son when you are united to christ the mission of god to redeem humanity is fulfilled you're in union with jesus the oxford dictionary defines union like this the act or the fact of joining or being joined and so simply when you believed in jesus you were joined to him you say, well, well, wait a minute, you know, how does that happen? Well, the Bible's clear, you're joined by faith, right? It's not, it's not your efforts, those will come. It's not your works, those will come too. It's not your, the, the attendance to spiritual disciplines, that of course will be a byproduct, but you are joined to Christ by faith. And when you put your faith in Jesus, when you localize your faith in the person of the Son of God, believing that he lived a per perfect life, that he was an incarnate, that he lived a perfect life, that he died a, a, a death on the cross that was sufficient for the forgiveness of your sins, that he rose again on the third day, when you localize your faith in a way that's personal and you say, yes, 
Lord Jesus, I believe that you did that, and not only that you did that, but you did that for me, the nature of your existence changes, church. The nature of your existence ch changes. You say, you say, well, how does it change? I say, hey, before you believed in Jesus, you were flying solo. Afterwards, you're not. You know, before you believed in Jesus, you were a party of one. Now you're a party of two. Before you believed in Jesus, you could sincerely and honestly say that you were alone, but you're no longer alone. You have been joined to the Son. You're in union with Christ. You're united to Him. Paul said it like this in Galatians 2.20. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh that is in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Right? Somebody say amen to that today. Right, so Christ lives in you, and the life that you live, you live by faith. You've localized your faith in the Son of God. This faith is not a one-time event. It's not as this, oh, oh, yeah, you know what, Pastor? Um, I have faith in, in, in Jesus because last year when you gave the invitation, I went forward, and in that moment, no, I, there, I put my trust and faith in Jesus, and I said, that's great, but you know what? It was then the moment after that moment, then the moment after that moment after that moment. Then it was like it's a progressive thing. It's a living faith. It's a living faith that we have in the Son. So you are in Christ by faith, and the implications are huge. I'm gonna give you two lists today of implications that come from being in Christ. The first one's positional. The second one is transformational. The first one is positional in this sense. When you believed in Jesus and you were united in him, you're standing before the Father changed. Now, for those of you who are Bible students, I want to encourage you later on today, pull out your concordance uh, if you have one. Um, if you don't know what that is, then go to blueletterbible.org and you can type in the search field uh, in Christ in quotations and it will populate all the different places in the Bible that the phrase in Christ appears. And then what you can do is you can glean through all those different verses and learn everything that you are and everything that you have in Christ. So I just wanna give you a few of those. Positionally, your standing has changed before God because you're in Christ now. You are chosen, you are redeemed, you're alive to God, you have eternal life. Because you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. In Christ, you're approved. In Christ, you're a new creation. In Christ, you're sanctified. In Christ, you're justified. In Christ, you have hope. In Christ, you know you will rise again from the dead. In Christ, you have God's grace. In Christ, you have been sealed. I mean, these are good things. These are good things. Man, you, you know, you come in today and you're like, man, I'm just a little bummed out. I'm just, I just, you know, it's, it's the Eagles and the Chiefs, man. And my, my team didn't even make it. My team didn't make it. And you guys know how it is, right? Sometimes for us, the joy that we get is from worldly, earthly things, and it's all temporary. And don't get me wrong, I loved it. I loved it when my team won seven Super Bowls. I, I loved it. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Don't, don't get me wrong. But, you know, sometimes, you know, it's like, well, we're, we look to those things. And, you know, they may bring us some sense of, and I'm not saying worldly joy is the same as spiritual joy. I'm just saying that they bring us some sense of happiness or joy in the moment, but it's fleeting no, you want to be able to anchor yourself to things that bring you sustained joy that's spiritual and everlasting. And that does it right there. Hey, your team loses today. You don't have to go into a, a tailspin, right? You don't have to go into a tailspin. You can go back to the message and say, okay, wait a minute. In Christ, I'm chosen, redeemed, alive to God, eternal, have eternal life. Even, even though the chiefs lost, I know, I know, I know. This is, this is why, this is why Spurgeon said, and it's such a good quote, there is no joy in this world like union with Christ. The more we can feel it, the happier we are. So a true Christian, a true Christian has union with Christ. The second thing today is this, a true Christian has communion with Christ. 
a true Christian has communion with Christ. I know those two things sound like the same thing, but they're not the same thing. To have communion with Christ means that he is in you and you are in him. It means he is in you and you are in him. You are in him, he is in you, you have him, he has you. Like this is the language of mutualism. I talked to you about this a couple of weeks ago that when it comes to the Trinity, remember there's the Father, there's the Son, there's the Holy Spirit, they're unique persons in one Godhead, in one essence. But they aren't compartmentalized. They're not separated from each other. They are three distinct persons, but there's a mutualism. They live within one another. And so what I mean by that is this. There is the Father. There is the Son. There is the Spirit. And the Father is in the Son. The Father's in the Spirit. The Son is in the Father. The Son is in the Spirit. The Spirit's in the Father. And the Spirit is in the Son. There's a mutual indwelling. And, and that, that is so important because that's what we've been invited into. We've been invited into that. I'm not saying we've been invited into it in a way where it's like, oh, we become God now. No, that's Mormonism. That's not Orthodox Christianity. I'm saying from a relational point of view, we now have communion with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is, this is what he said. Jesus, we'll see this in a couple of weeks. He's praying his high priestly prayer, and he says this in his prayer to the Father. He's talking about the unity of believers, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Mutualism, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I mean, this interconnectedness connectedness is absolutely amazing. Union is being connected in relationship. Communion is the transfer of Christ's life to you. So like, let's just step back for a minute. We're looking at the vineyard, right? And we've got the vine dresser who's tending the vine. And we know that the soil is full of nutrients. The soil's been cultivated. It's been de-weeded. There's watering that has consistently happened. And all of the nutrients, the nitrogen and other important elements, they're drawn up through the vine and as they're drawn up through the vine, they flow into the branch. The branch has communion with the vine. The branch isn't just attached. The branch is actually receiving life. You know that when the branch stops or ceases receiving life from the vine, the branch dies. This is communion. We have communion with the Son, and it is transformational in Christ. In Christ, you have the life of God that sustains you, that strengthens you, that comforts you, that liberates you, that satisfies you. I know today you're thinking this, you're thinking, wait a minute, Derek, are you saying that everything that I need is found in Jesus Christ? Yes. I'm like, man, you guys are sharp. You guys are, you guys are sharp, you're on it. Yeah, I mean, that's what you and I do, we feed we feed on the life that's given from the Son. Let me just reread that. He sustains you, he strengthens you, he comforts you, he liberates you, he satisfies you. Do you need some of that today? Do you need some of that today? I mean, don't forget, don't forget where that comes from. You know, you might today feeling, uh, uh, you might be feeling a little weak, maybe a little anemic, Maybe today you're feeling a little alone, a little burdened, a little wounded, a little hurt. I don't know what it might be. Maybe today you might be feeling a little tied down or you might be feeling a little imprisoned. There may be some chains that have been binding you. Maybe today you've just been a little dissatisfied. You've been just a little dissatisfied with life. You're like, man, really? Is that, is that what this is? Is this all life has to offer? And I'm saying in all of that, you know, because what the devil wants to do is he wants to spin you like a top. He wants to spin you like a top. And you're just spinning round and round, you know? And there's one fixed thing that never changes position and it's Jesus. He's here. And the devil's like, I'm gonna wind you up as much as I possibly can because the more you spin, the less you see him. I mean, maybe one time every time around, but you're spinning so fast, it's just a blur. 
And so what does he do? He, he calls you, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Stop, stop your spinning. Stop your spinning, church. You say, how do I stop my spinning? By anchoring yourself to the person of Christ and to his words. You know, and sometimes, man, you're, you can be spinning so hard, it's, hold, it's hard to hold on to him, but he will supply you the strength to even do that. That's what abiding is. That's what abiding is. Abiding means that he has you, right? You're in the everlasting, eternal grip of the Son of God. You're in the hand of the Father. He has you. But you're not just laying there passively like a, like a rag doll in his hand. You're clinging to him with everything that you have. You have him as well. That's abiding. Abiding is living. Abiding is constant. Abiding is vital. It includes learning to live in his love, learning to live in his presence, praying without ceasing, listening to his word, trusting him and obeying him. That's what it means to abide. You're learning to live in his love. You're learning to live in his presence, right? I mean, you go through your day and it's like, man, you've walked with him throughout the day. He's been a constant companion to you. And you know he's been a constant companion, not just because theologically you can affirm the omnipresence of God. <laughs> yes, that's true. But I'm talking about, I'm talking about having communion with him. You know, the, the tender, gentle guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit in your life. The, the still, small voice that doesn't come in the mighty wind or the mighty earthquake or the huge miracle. It's just the tender impressions that he places upon your heart. It's those moments of praying to him, not you know, necessarily long monologues of prayer, but sometimes just a simple word or a simple phrase of gratitude or an expression of need. That's what it means to abide. Hey, this is a living thing that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I do get concerned sometimes because, you know, some of us, some of us can have the tendency to reduce Christ to a pattern to be followed. And don't get me wrong today. Hey, he is the ultimate pattern, right? He is the ultimate example to pattern our lives after. There's no doubt about it. But we don't just wear a bracelet that says WWJD on it and, and think somehow because you know, we're thinking through, well, what would Jesus do in this moment? Somehow that, that that means relationship because that doesn't necessarily mean relationship. You can try to follow the example of Christ in your life and be wholly and completely disconnected relationally from him. And you know what that is? That's just dead moralism. You've, you, you have exchanged the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ for moralism. And some of us, you know what? We're rule followers by nature. And so we can have a tendency to reduce the gospel to a, a list of rules to follow. But just because you're following rules doesn't mean that you're walking in communion. You say, well, wait a minute, pastor. He said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And I say, exactly, exactly. But don't forget, what comes first is if you love me. If you love me, then you'll obey my commandments. In other words, it works like this. You're at the intersection of decision. There's temptation in your life. There's your flesh is desiring something. You have the opportunity to exercise your will to say yes or no in that moment. What compels you to say yes? What compels you to say yes? It has to be more than, hey, these are the rules that I'm supposed to follow and pastor laid them out on Sunday and if I don't follow them, I'm not a good Christian. No, that will never get, that will never get you through. That will never get you through. That you might be able to handle that for a while, but at some point your will is going to fail. It has to be a greater motivator. You say, what's the greater motivator? Love's the greater motivator, right? So in that moment, it's like, yeah, you know what, God? Help me because my flesh wants something that I know I'm not supposed to have. My flesh wants something that I know you wouldn't be pleased with. My flesh wants something that, that 
my friends are compelling me to make a decision for. And if I don't say yes, I'm gonna be rejected by them. But what I'm gonna choose to do here is express my love for you no matter what comes. I'm gonna say yes to you. That's how, that's how living communion works when we're confronted with a choice. Listen, abiding is living. Abiding is constant. It's constant. You look at this picture and it's like, you know just from the picture that once the nutrients cease to flow to the branch, the branch begins to wither. I mean, you know that just from the picture and because you're super smart. Once the branch isn't taking those nutrients in any longer, there's an impact. There's an influence. And I know that you can track that in your own life. You know, in those seasons that you've had where you've not been You've not been leaning into his presence. In those seasons where prayer has just been, you know, one of those things that it's not been a priority. If you get to it, you get to it. If you don't, you don't. In those seasons where you've not really been walking by faith, there's not been a desire for the word of God, you've not been really obedient, I know, I know you can look at those seasons in your life, those valleys, and you can see there was a, a withering away of the fruitfulness that God desired to bring in your life. I know that's true for you because I know that's happened with me. The fact is this, the more you and I intentionally abide in the vine and avail our hearts to receive the fullness of the nutrients of life that God brings us through his son by the Holy Spirit, the more fruitful we will be. This is a constant thing. This is a moment by moment by moment thing. That's why we're called to pray without ceasing. And I think it's vital for us to think about this because you know, he himself said, this is the third thing about abiding, about abiding, about, abi <laughs> about abiding, apart from me, you can do nothing, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. We have a deep and daily need for dependence for Jesus that compels us to abide in him. The third and final thing today is this, a true Christian has a fruitful life. So I know for some of us, you know, we get to verse six and it's like, wait a minute, he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. It's like, wait a minute, you know, this was a beautiful metaphor until we got to that. And a lot of people, you know, it's interesting, you read commentaries and it's like, Every other beautiful thing that Jesus said is somehow eclipsed by someone hijacking this verse to, you know, establish some doctrinal issue that they have. And it kind of normally works like this. They say, well, you know, see, it says it right there that if we don't do the works that we're supposed to do, um, even as Christians, we can lose our salvation. And I just wanna to say to you today, this section of scripture has nothing to do with a Christian losing their salvation. And not only that, this would be a horrible place to try to establish that doctrinal principle because you never use a metaphor or a parable to build your doctrine upon, right? It's not even what he's talking about here. I mean, at most, what we can say is this. He is saying, you know, there are people who are gonna look like they're connected to me, but the truth is this, they're not connected to me. And you say, well, how do we discern that? I'll tell you in just a minute. I think that this was appropriate for the situation they were in because there were 12 disciples and all of them looked connected. All of them seemed to um, have relationship, but there was one among them who had been with them who had seen the miracles, who had been sent out with the 12 and with the 70, and yet he was not connected. He seemed like he was, but he wasn't because there was no fruit in his life. So I would say you can have the appearance that you're connected, but if you don't bear fruit, you're not. Spiritual fruitfulness is the mark of a true Christian. Spiritual fruitfulness is the mark of a true Christian, and self-evaluation is the key to this, right? Sometimes you know the way we are as Christians, we are so apt to evaluate everybody else's fruit except our own. I mean, it's just the way it is. You know, I, 
I stand in the lobby after a message, and you know, I, this person comes up and says, man, that was so awesome, and, and uh, I'm glad this person was here to hear that message because you know, they really needed to hear it. Or, um, or someone comes and says, man, Pastor, that was just a perfect message, and this person that I've been praying for, you know, they missed it today, but I'm gonna send them the link, and I'm like, hey, that's awesome. But what did God, what did God speak to you? Like, what did God speak to you? How did God minister to your own heart? Because judgment begins in the house of the Lord, like starting with our own lives. If you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If somebody said to your husband or to your wife or to your coworkers, hey, so-and-so is a Christian, what evidence do you see in their life that bears testimony of this, what would those individuals say? It is an important question because fruitfulness and pruning identify us as belonging to God. Fruitfulness and pruning identify us as belonging to God. You guys know, just from the illustration, if you have a vineyard that bears no grapes, it is absolutely useless. And that's one reason why this illustration or metaphor is so appropriate because, you know, if you have a vineyard that bears no grapes, you can't take that wood and build a house. You can't take that wood and build a chair. You can't take that wood and build a frame for a picture. There's only one thing that wood is good for, and that is to be thrown into the fire. No, the purpose of God for you and for me is fruitfulness. It's fruitfulness for his glory and the fulfillment of his mission. And let me just step back and say to you, this is one of the reasons why the Christian life is the good life. I mean, there's no life like the Christian life. There's no life. Hey, is your life better having put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ? Did your life get better or worse? Your life, your life got better. Your life got better. There's so much that he's brought to you. As you feed on Christ through faith, I mean, think about all of the things that he has brought into your life. And there's a fruitfulness, right? It's not like the branch is striving and groaning and working on producing fruit. No, it just comes naturally because you're connected to the vine. And in context, like, I'm just going to limit the scope. I could give you a hundred things today that identify what fruit we should be bearing as we're connected to the vine. I'm going to narrow the scope just to what he has said in the upper room discourse, right? He has said that we would bear the fruit of love, we'd bear the fruit of joy, we'd bear the fruit of peace, we would bear the fruit of answered prayer, we would bear the fruit of obedience to his commands, we're going to get to this in just a little bit, a uh, couple weeks. We will bear the fruit of the help of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we will bear the fruit of being a witness to the world. And I, I just think, you guys, we have to be able to look at our lives and say, man, I know what I was before I was with Christ. Thank God. Thank God for all he has brought into my life simply through faith in Jesus. And the terminology, I'm wrapping up today, but the terminology is big and you've got to get it because the terms of God are never meager. The terms of God are never meager. The way Jesus says it, you've got to get it. Listen to me. He says to them that you bear fruit, that you bear more fruit, that you bear much more fruit, right? That there's an abundance, that you're filled. The Greek word is pleureo. It means to be filled to overflowing. Jesus isn't saying, hey, you got saved so you could have a grape. That's not what he's saying. Jesus isn't saying, saying to you, hey, you got saved so there could be like this little withering cluster of fruit on your branch. No, he's giving this picture of a life that is overflowing within an absolute abundance. And you say, man, how do I get to that place? Well, you get to that place by being pruned, right? So you're connected to the vine. The nutrients of life are flowing into your life. The product of that is a fruitfulness and what the vine dresser does is he comes along he, he he trims you up he's like hey you know what you're bearing fruit that's good it's time for a trim it's time for a trim we're going to snip some things away we're going to snip away the stuff that's dead you know it looks like it's connected but it's not really connected you got some religious works here you got some religious works here that your heart's not really into and so we're going to cut away the game playing
right? We're going to cut away the facade. We're going to cut away the veneer because I don't want game players in my kingdom. I want people who love me. And I don't want you to think that somehow that's the same as bearing fruit. So snip, snip. Snip, snip. He cuts it away. There are some things here that seem to be life-giving, but they're not really focused in the way that I want them to be focused. Because you know, when you trim something so that it can grow, sometimes you're trimming away branches that do have some life. You're trimming away suckers, right? They're, they're pulling away nutrients and keeping the branch from bring, being everything he wants it to be. And so, you know, you, you give a little trim. You trim up those things. You cut those things out. You know, back when I used to have hair, <laughs> I used to get my hair cut. And, um, and I went to Supercuts one day. I don't even think they have Supercuts anymore. This is like old school. I went to Supercuts to get my mullet trimmed. <laughs> and this girl was giving me a haircut and the music was playing and I don't remember what it was, man. She just snipped into the music, snip, 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 snip. And, and she snipped my ear. She did, I know. And man, it hurt, right? My ear was bleeding. And I just shared that story with you just to say to you, sometimes the trimming hurts. Sometimes the trimming hurts. But you're, in, you're not in the hands of some girl who's just snipping away arbitrarily to a song. You're in the hands of the good, good father. You know, I mean, he's a vine dresser. He's a vine dresser. He's a vine dresser. And you have to stick with me, okay? Don't get distracted. I'll wrap this up, but not unless you're paying attention. Because, because he looks at your life. Listen to me. He looks at your life and he loves you. He, he loves you. He looks at your life and, and you're beautiful to him, right? He cares for you. His son is the true vine and you've been, you've been grafted in. You've been connected. But he has more for you. And so what he says, listen to me. He says, this needs to go. This thing is unhealthy. It's unhealthy. It's unhelpful. You know, there are unhealthy, unhelpful things in our lives that are not necessarily unlawful. There are things in our lives that, that he says, hey, you know what, there's no law against it. You can do that. But you know, sometimes we can be, become so focused on that liberty and so engrossed in it, pretty soon what happens is it sucks away the life, the spiritual life. It becomes an obsession. It becomes a focus. And God says, hey, this is taken your focus off of me, it's hindering you now, right? It's hindering you now. It's hindering you now. It's become a weight. That's what the author to the book of Hebrews says. Let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run this race with endurance looking unto Jesus. Like the illustration there is of a marathon runner. You know what she doesn't do? She doesn't put on the backpack. She doesn't put on the leg weights. She's not encumbered by a bunch of clothes, right? She's, she's made sure she's positioned in a way where she can win. And there are things that are weights, brothers and sisters, blessings that God gives us, maybe financial blessings, Maybe opportunities that we can say yes to, but just because you can say yes doesn't, may, doesn't mean you should say yes. Maybe there are areas of, of liberty that we have, but you know we have to be spiritually wise enough to know when those things become a hindrance to what God wants for our lives. And you know what he'll do. He'll, he'll, he'll trim us up. Maybe, maybe it's not just that it's unhealthy or, or unhelpful. Maybe it's unlawful. Maybe, you know, he's been convicting us of sin in our life. He's like, this thing's got to go. No, this has got to go. This thing that you're engaged in, this attitude that you have, this thing that you've been fantasizing about, I need to trim that away. Now, you can sit there and say, well, trim away, God, trim away. But it takes your willingness, right? Because the Spirit of God, this is what he says, his, his word. is he doesn't, pull the, he doesn't pull a real knife out. He pulls the sword of the word out. It's the word that cleanses us when we obey it. When we're in the seed and we're listening and the Spirit of God is, is convicting us. There's a piercing in our heart. And right now you're thinking, man, I know, I know. It's popping in your mind, right? The Spirit of God has identified something. Now it's a matter of you saying yes Yes, have your way. Trim that 
away. Cut it away. Some of you today might be thinking, man, it's just going to mean loss. It's going to mean loss. And I've become so attached. Let me say to you, your sorrow over the loss will be surpassed by the abundance of fruit that he brings. That is just a fact, if you allow it. Hebrews 12, 11 says this, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And finally, fruitfulness proves you're in communion with the Son. Pruning proves you are submitted to the Father. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today, and we, we do pray, God, that you'd help us to, to yield and submit, to surrender, for all of us, the, the various things that you've been speaking today through the power of your spirit, help us to yield and to submit, to say yes. Today as our eyes are closed and as our heads are bowed, two things today, the first is this, maybe, maybe you've never put your trust and faith in Christ. Maybe you've never believed in Jesus and been grafted in. And I don't know what that looks like for you. Perhaps today, you know, you, your life has just been so challenging. You, you've thought, maybe, maybe God can help me. And so you came today. <clears throat> and I want to tell you that he can help you. He's present to help you. He's the one who's led you to this place. Maybe today you recognize that there have been some religious works in your life, but you've not, you've not really had communion with Christ. Today there's a step of faith for you to take as well. I would also just add to this, maybe as a Christian you've had a, a season of, of unfruitfulness. Maybe you felt like you've just been withering away. Maybe there are things in your life that have become hindrances. They've been unhelpful or unhealthy or sin that you've been convicted of that you've not responded to. Today there's a choice that all of you have to make and no one can make this choice for you. Only you can make it yourself as God has spoken to you. Today I want to pray for you that God would give you the strength maybe to put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe today as a Christian to confess sin or to lay something down that's been a, a hindrance in your relationship with God. But if this is you today, I want to pray for you. And I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting, would you raise your hand today so I can see who you are? I want to pray for you. God bless you in the back on my right, and God bless you here in the front on my right. Thank you so much. I see your hand over here on my left, here in the back, and here in the center row, and right here in the center. Thank you. Here in the center as well. In the back on my right, here in the center on my right. God bless you. Anybody else? I see your hands. Thank you so much. I see your hand over here on my left. I see your hand right here on my left, in the back, here in the front, here in the center. God loves you today. He's been speaking to your heart. He's been speaking to you. Let him do all that he desires to do. Anybody else? I see your hand all the way in the back against the wall. Here back on my left. Here in the center, I see your hand in the back. Here in the center as well, thank you. I see you right here in the center, thank you. Father, thank you so much today for, for speaking to us. Thank you God for ministering to our hearts. Thank you God for these that you have just touched in a very special way. God, we ask today that everything you desire 
to bring to pass in these lives would be accomplished as they say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can all stand with me today. Hey, today, one more thing before we close our service. For those of you who have raised your hands, um, I'm going to have our follow-up team come forward today. Today, we want to invite you forward. Today, there's a decision for you to make. It's good that God spoke to you. It's good that I prayed for you, but you need to pray. God loves you, and he wants to hear your heart confessing your sin and your faith in him. God wants to do a work today as you step forward in faith and receive everything that he has for you. And so what we're gonna do this morning is this. For all of you who have raised your hands, we wanna invite you to come forward. Might be to receive Christ for the very first time. Awesome, thank you, man. And, and it might be that you're a Christian. Might just be that, you know, you just need a new work of God's spirit in your life. And so if you raise your hand, come on forward. I wanna lead you in a prayer this morning lead you guys in prayer. Let's bow our heads together. And I want to encourage you right now just to pour your heart out to God and, and to believe in Christ. Localize your faith in the Son of God. And every single thing that you need, God the Father is going to bring to you through faith in His Son. The forgiveness that you need, the healing that you need, the strength and the joy that you need, the hope. Some of you today have come in hopeless and you're gonna leave with hope. You can expect today that God is gonna hear this prayer. And so make this your prayer. Pray out loud after me. God, today, I give you my life. And Father, I confess I've sinned against you I've lived in unbelief, but no longer. I believe in Jesus, and I want to follow him, filled with your love, filled with your spirit, all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.